changed it. I had some errors and omissions. Okay. From previous episodes. Oh, okay. I kept calling the Stephen King miniseries on HBO from 2019, The Stranger, but it's actually called The Outsider. Uh, And The Stranger was the one with Bill Pullman, right? Or was that? No, that was The Sinner. There is a stranger that's a, there's a Joel Edgerton movie called The Stranger that was very good. Creepy. It's on Netflix. And there's also a stranger that was a Harlan Corbin miniseries thing. I watched that one. There's a Billy Joel album called The Stranger. The Harlan Corbin one is funny because those stories are exactly the same. He just tells the same story over and over again and switches people out. I've enjoyed some of them, but ultimately that's the same exact story repeated. Yeah. Yeah. Brought to Harlan Corbin. But anyway, I kept calling it The Stranger and it's called The Outsider. I didn't even catch that. Okay. The other thing was that I said last episode that I don't watch cop shows. What I realized is about half the shows I picked are cop shows. So that's a lie. I don't consider them cop shows because they're detective shows and detectives wear plain clothes, but they're still cop shows. It's funny because I I referenced not liking White Lotus because I didn't want to watch a show about rich people being shitty to each other. And then I I covered Succession, which is the same thing. But, you know, we're going to talk about women today women-centered shows and some themes about how women are represented on television. The last omission was that I missed a Walking Dead showrunner. In the final season, after Scott Gimple, Angela Kang, who was a writer since season two on Walking Dead, was promoted to showrunner. And she wrote some notable episodes, the one where the terminus guys capture bob and then they eat his leg after he's been bitten and Mm -hmm. he goes haha i've just been bitten you guys ate my infected leg (laughs) and the one that where beth dies when she and daryl are trying to escape and the one where glenn gets trapped under the dumpster she wrote all those episodes oh are some of the ones that stick in my mind too Yeah. yeah i'm sure i made many more mistakes in the last several hours of potting but those are the ones that kept me up at night (laughs) melissa what show about a lady who definitely does not launch was too short the show that i chose is called the chair It was on Netflix for just one season in 2021. It was created by Amanda Peet and Annie Wyman, executive produced by Amanda Peet, David Benioff, D.B. Weiss, and the showrunner is also Amanda Peet. Stars Sandra Oh, Jay Duplass, Nana Mensah, Holland Taylor, and Bob Balaban. This is a delightful show about the world of academia, which usually that setting 
in TV and film is either very frat boy, gross out comedy or serious and honestly pretty boring. But this was funny and sweet and also relevant. It addresses some very topical issues like free speech, fascism, the gender pay gap, ageism, all without being too heavy handed. Sandra Oh plays English professor Ji Yoon Kim at the fictional Pembroke University, which is a small and they imply a bottom level Ivy League school set in New England. Ji Yoon is promoted as chair of the English department and is the first woman and the first woman of color to serve in this role. And it follows the challenges of supporting her faculty and meeting the demands of the administration, which is mostly older white males. Also, the issues her colleagues face, like new technology and new teaching theories. And there's a scandal that involves a fellow teacher and her friend Bill, played by Jay Duplass, which shows how ill-prepared they all are to deal with the well-informed and progressive students who are demanding more than this out-of-touch institution has ever provided to them before. Outside of her work, Ji Yoon is a single mom who has adopted a daughter called Juju from Mexico. And you see her struggle to connect with this kid who is also trying to find out where she belongs in this Korean family which includes Ji Yoon's elderly father who is helping to raise Juju. There's a lot of wonderful intergenerational stuff there in, in their interactions. Ji Yoon's colleague and friend Yaz, played by Nana Mensa, is a beloved young professor who engages and excites her students, but she faces challenges in finding her place in a, an old boys club. There's a complicated and messy friendship with Jay Duplass's character, who is a train wreck. He's grieving the death of his wife, but he's drinking a lot and he's checked out of teaching. And she finds herself trying to support him and protect him, but also hold him responsible for his bad choices. And meanwhile, they become close and they have a, an almost sort of love affair. There's a ridiculous and hilarious cameo from David Duchovny. And as much as the chair delves into heavy topics, it's still very light and funny at times. I just thought it was a well-crafted and thoughtfully written show. The one and only season is just six episodes. They go by in a blink. And I was sad when it was over. They wrapped it up well. But I think there was a lot more they could have done with the story and the characters. And if it would have come back for a second season, I would have definitely been there to watch that. Was it based on something or was it original? No, I don't believe so. But one of the other creators, Annie Wyman, she writes a lot about academia. So I'm sure that she was bringing in some perspective and maybe some personal anecdotes, but there weren't, it wasn't based on a memoir or anything that I'm aware of. Gotcha. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. I had no idea, Amanda Pete was showrunner as well. I, I saw that she was producer, but I didn't know she was showrunner as well. That's cool. You and I, one of the things we have in common is that for at least part of our lives, we were raised by single dads. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I didn't know that was weird until I was older and someone pointed it out to me because a lot of TV shows when we were young were about dads raising kids. Right. Mr. Drummond, Mr. Belvedere. Who's uh, the boss? Who's the boss? My two dads. The terrible Full House. <laughs> Full House. 
a terrible full house. Terrible, terrible full house. <laughs> and then the single mothers who were represented were often represented as frazzled and spinning all these plates in the air and not being able to hold it all together. And it was decided, and the comedy came out of that. I'm thinking of one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that Schneider would come in and say to her, and it was just like, oh, it's so funny how bad you're struggling without a man. As far as representation of motherhood, who are some of the mothers that you saw either when you were a kid or recently who you saw that I'd like that to be my mom or you thought, wow, what a cool mom or what a good representation of a mom, et cetera, et cetera. Growing up, I always wanted Elise Keaton from Family Ties to be my mom or Caroline Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. Although as an adult, less that one (laughs) looking back. What a terrible time that would have been to be a woman and to raise, <laughs> but like the nurturing and the sweetness that she had. But Lise Keaton, I love because she was a feminist and she encouraged her daughters to stand up for themselves and that they had a voice just as important as her son. More recently, I know I keep going back to the show, but sex education, I love Jean's character. She was human and flawed, but she was thoughtful as a parent and didn't always get everything right. I think she was a good example of a modern mother and the challenges that they faced. She was also a single mom and an older mom because later in the series, she has a baby. And then one that she's complicated, but I loved Sharon in Catastrophe, who is not, she doesn't want to be a mom necessarily. She doesn't find it to be easy, but that partnership between her and Rob and the, the communication they have and how they fumble their way towards parenthood, I, I think is, again, very human and relatable and very funny. But she's, I think, one of my favorite modern TV moms as well. How about you? I was, I was thinking about her, whether I would want to be her friend or whether I would want her to be my mom. I definitely wouldn't want her to be my friend. Like, I, I think she'd be a terrible friend. Right. Be a great mom. That's funny that you mentioned her too, because I was having trouble figuring out where she fit. But definitely when I was a kid, it seems silly to say Keaton or Cosby, but that was what we had. Another one that I thought of though was Patty Lapone in Life Goes On. I wanted to be a part of the Thatcher family. I thought they just had something cool going on. I forgot all about that show. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was one of the first shows that just gave me a real warm vibe because there was no laugh track, but it was still funny and it was warm and it wasn't soapy. It was just life. It was just life. Recently, one of them was Chaim Abbas, who plays Mesa and Rami's Rami's Mm -hmm. mom. Mm -hmm. The episode that they do when she starts driving the rideshare. I don't remember if it was Uber or Lyft. Did you see that episode yet? No. So he did a few episodes of that show that were just specifically focused on a few members of his family. They were all beautiful. Gut punch. Beautiful. But the one that he did of his mom 
is just heartbreaking and wonderful and amazing. She is a hilarious mother in that show in every episode. But I think that one episode, just seeing her humanness, I thought it was a beautiful representation of what it means to be a full person who just happens to be a mother. And when people see you as one thing and have seen you in that way for so long, that when you start to remember, oh, I had interests, I had desires, I had a personality that was separate from being Rami's mom and being somebody's wife. Then the other one is Nikki Newman in Trying, which is an Apple TV show, Esther Smith. Stars as Nikki Newman, Rafe Spall, plays her husband, and they're trying to adopt. And she is the one who I said, she reminds me of you. She's tough in a sweet way, but she also is honest about her anxieties. The show itself is a bit earnest. It's a bit saccharine but I love her character so much. And it's so exactly the person you would want <laughs> your mom to be or to see that person be a mom. Um, mm. Maureen, which show do you feel stayed too long at the party? Part of what I love about us doing this activity this podcast together is revisiting some of these shows that I absolutely love. And this show is one of the top bananas in my top banana list show called offspring, an Australian show created and produced by Deborah Oswald and John Edwards for network 10, but you can find it on Netflix and that's where I found it. But also it was on Hulu. And I want to say maybe Freebie or Tubi, one of those ones. Mm -hmm. You can find it at a, a lot of places now. Starred Asher Keddy as Nina, Kat Stewart as Billy, Richard Davies as Jimmy. Those are the three Proudman siblings. And then their parents, Linda Cropper as Geraldine and John Waters as Darcy. They are on again, off again to a ridiculous degree. And then the supporting cast, Deborah Mailman as Sherry, Eddie Perfect as Mick, who was one of the composers of the Beetlejuice musical, Patrick Bramall as Leo, and Alicia Gardner as Nurse Kim. And oh, one more, Lachey Hulme as Dr. Martin Clegg. He is the comic relief. I describe it as an Australian parenthood but much more of an Australian sensibility and comedy than a parenthood. It ran for seven seasons from 2010 to 2017. Just as an aside, one of my favorite fan investment stories is from this show. One of the characters is in an accident. And the day after the accident, real Australians were calling the cops to describe the car that hit the other person in the accident. <laughs> and the cops had to say, that was a TV show. 
We are not investigating this accident. Thank you. Have a good day. To me, I mean, could you think of a greater compliment than people are so invested in your show that they want to help catch the fictional driver in a fictional accident? Just wonderful. Great. Ashley Keddy plays Nina. She's a obstetrician in a local hospital. Her sister, Billy is a reformed party girl who works for her dad at his real estate company, and she's learning to become a realtor. Jimmy is hasn't found his footing yet. He's the youngest of the Proudmans, and so he's in and out of many romances and in and out of many jobs until he finds what it is he wants to do. It's a great ensemble cast, again, a lot of romance. It's a little bit of a Bridget Jones, Meredith Grey hybrid in Nina. Funny, self-effacing. I don't want to say disaster. She's not a disaster. She has a lot of anxiety. And the way that it comes out is in very embarrassing ways. Like one of the things that happens is she accidentally sleeps with her sister's boyfriend and in order to get the sister back the boyfriend sings a song in front of the whole bar about how nina was bad in bed and because australian comedy everybody just accepts that (laughs) the relationship between nina and billy is it's one of the my favorite sister relationships that i've ever seen there's so much i love about this show Nothing extremely exciting happens. It's just about life and about family, but it is also about grief. The first five seasons, you can tell the crafting that went into those five seasons. It's funny and it's madcap in ways, but there is a progression for all of the characters. There's a beginning, middle, and an end. And one of the characters goes through a tremendous loss. The grief is so well handled and in a way that I, again, have never quite seen it before represented. Season five wraps up so perfectly. You felt like you'd been through something with these characters and that would have been the perfect place to leave it. However, it sounds like, or what I was able to find out, fan outcry was such that They wanted them to come back. The original producers did not come back for that season. They were done telling the story. So they got new showrunners in there. And the last two seasons were just a crap fest. Now, you do love, you love the characters. And I could see why they wanted to keep going. But it just wasn't working. It didn't work. So I do recommend this show highly. Like I said, it's just one of my favorite shows ever but i always tell people stop after season five (laughs) i can't make people stop after season five but i strongly (laughs) strongly strongly suggest stopping after season five that's what you've told me if you do that you're gonna find yourself enjoying the show if you don't you're gonna say what the hell was maureen talking about Looking back, 
at our TV hit viewing history. Who were some of the women you wanted to be your friend, hang out with, have cocktail with? I think forever and always, I want to go to the Golden Girls' house and sit down and have a piece of cheesecake with them, gossip, and have them make me a cup of tea. I will always love them. I want to be a part of that circle or at least be one of their grandchildren. Well, recently, I was thinking about shows that I would want to hang out with people. Again, I'm not in the right age group, but I loved sex education so much. And I loved Maeve and Amy and their relationship. Yeah. I love, I just, I felt like they were such a good reflection of like how young adults are now. It reminded me of knowing you in high school. These girls looked out for everybody else. They looked out for each other in a special way. They stood up for the kids that didn't have support. I love them. I, I think about that show so frequently, but those are the top ones for me. Yeah, it's so wholesome and it's everybody's welcome. And even the ones who were struggling, Adam being a notable character on that show, struggled and took it out on people in an unfair way. By the end, you were, you saw how much grace people gave him. And I know that it was dictated by writers. I'm not, and also all the cast was about 30 by the time they were done. But I thought that was remarkable in that way too, just the way that they showed how the kids, they had their snarky, clicky things, but they embraced each other too at large. I think the overall idea of the show too where Otis is like advising other kids it starts out to be like a thing where they're trying to make money but they were trying to help each other and when they would mm -hmm. when they would hear of or see a behavior that was unacceptable or inappropriate they knew that it wasn't they, they knew they had to address it and it wasn't there was like the therapy speak that Otis like that world he came from and he knew that but Maeve did it too she was the one who told Amy you need to talk about what happened to you I think just a greater understanding and paying attention to the world. I think it is a reflection of how kids are today. I've seen it with my own niece and nephew who are teenagers now. The understanding of what they're seeing and also a greater a desire to be more inclusive because they see it in themselves and they see it in their friends. And I, that was not the high school that we grew up in. I can't imagine being a teenager right now and things that we didn't have to deal with, like school shootings and stuff. I gonna talk a little bit about I may destroy you later and the having photos passed around that you didn't consent to have passed around and that our laws haven't caught up with our technology in those terms, both for good and for ill, because I don't think well uh, <laughs> this is not what this is about at all. I don't think a kid who's fourteen years old and takes a picture of her boob should be charged with having child pornography and that it's either that or oh too bad that happened honey and those are the options we have right now <laughs> okay but girls that I want to be friends with when I was a kid Martika I wanted to be Martika's little shadow on Kids Incorporated I was obsessed with her she was the arbiter of everything cool and everything I wanted to be I was thinking back through some shows that I loved and Molly and Carol on Ed, they had a fun oh, friendship. Ned. Yeah. Miranda Bailey talks about Miranda. She would be like 
a person who you could count on for anything, but also who wouldn't put up with too much. She'd have good boundaries. And then, of course, Jess and Cece and Allie by the end. Allie was brought into the fold. Nassim Pedrad, she started as, oh, I want to hang out with Jess and Cece, but they've been friends for a long time. I don't want to disrupt the dynamic. And then by the end, she was like, I'm here, girls, and you're hanging out with me. Deal with it. That would be me. How about a show that you felt ended perfectly? This refers back to me saying I don't watch cop shows. (laughs) I was going to do Orphan Black, but then I realized that would have been the only show that didn't have a female creator. The rest of them did. So I swapped it out for one of my other picks. So we had series, another series that had a female creator. Happy Valley which is the police procedural created and written by Sally Wainwright, stars Sarah Lancashire, Siobhan Finneran, James Norton, Charlie Murphy, George Costigan. There are only six episodes per season. There are three seasons. And this is what I love about British television. One of the many things. Season one, 2014. Season two, 2016. Season three, 2023. They knew we had not forgotten. We still wanted to see these characters and how things wrapped up. So they brought it back, baby. And they did a great job wrapping this series up. Sarah Lancashire is one of Sally Wainwright's muses, I guess you could say. She also starred in... Last Tango in Halifax. I mean, she's a working actor, so maybe I've seen her in a lot of things, but she is currently playing Julia in the Max Julia Child series in Happy Valley as Sergeant Catherine K. Wood as a tough sergeant, police sergeant, who's dealing with a drug epidemic in in an economically depressed area in West Yorkshire. Her daughter had recently died by suicide, and she's raising her grandson. Her daughter was dating a serial criminal, and the grandson is a result of sexual assault mm-hmm. on the part of this character, Tommy Lee Royce, played by James Norton, who looks like butter would melt in his mouth, but... Or is it butter wouldn't melt? I never understood that saying. I don't think I've never even heard that. Butter would melt? Anyway, the first series, first season or series, as they're called in British television, is about solving abduction of a woman. Catherine is convinced that Tommy Lee Royce is involved. And so she's going to track him down. He was just released from prison. For other offenses, the timeline adds up and his stomping ground adds up. So she is becomes obsessed with bringing him down. The second season is about a year and a half after the first season. And Catherine, who 
had to take some time off after season one, is back at work. She has been getting these laurels and accolades for the work that she did on the abduction case. But she's haunted by this guy. She's consumed by grief. It comes out in her job and it comes out in the way that she's parenting her grandson. And she becomes implicated in some other crimes that are going on. It seems very likely that Tommy has arranged things so it looks like she's guilty from his time in the criminal world he's got a lot of contacts and connections and he can give favors and he can get favors not only is he making life difficult for Catherine but he's trying to find a way to also have access to his son who he's been ordered against having any contact with the third season they don't put it right on the heels of the second season they do go ahead and advance it several years her grandson who was eight in season two is now almost a young adult so she finds out that he has been communicating with his dad and also there's quite a big twist having to do with how he's been getting access to his dad everything again starts to crumble but 16 years later, she's never properly addressed this grief over her daughter. She knows that Ryan also isn't being honest with her and that they don't have the relationship that she thought they did. She, her world comes crumbling down. Things are going to come to a head where there's going to be a final showdown between Catherine and Tommy Royce. Because of how dark the show is you don't know which way it's gonna go <laughs> what was so good about it i will say is that it was surprising when you watch these procedural cop shows which we've now established i do a lot uh, <laughs> there aren't that many ways that if somebody goes to jail somebody gets shot everybody locks the door and feels safe again whatever it is there's this way that things get resolved. They managed to do such a beautifully messy resolution to the series. It was something very unexpected and also fitting. Very like what would happen in a family that had suicide and addiction and abuse and secrets and all of that stuff so it it didn't wrap things up in a tidy way dark or sunshiny mm -hmm. it's only like i said it's only three seasons six episodes each strongly recommend it and if you don't want my recommendation rob delaney also said <laughs> it was one of his favorites this year it is on acorn and you can also get it on prime I've heard you talk about this one a couple of times, and I, it always just slips my mind to remember to check it out. But it is very dark. This is one of the sh first shows that I watched when I started to watch the British crime that I was like, where's her gun? I found myself watching these shows like, why is she going in there without a gun? Does anyone <laughs> know that she's there and she doesn't have a gun? It just shows how frequently and ubiquitous the gun is as part of our talk shows 
Yeah. Uh, that the idea that a cop would go into a dark room without a gun was like yeah. crazy to me. Anyway, just great. Good. Everybody in it again. Those Brits know how to cast a show. Tell you that. They do. We've seen so many based on a true story, biopics, true crime, et cetera, et cetera, depictions. What are some of the ones that made a real impression on you? Most recently, I watched a show on Netflix. It was a limited series called From Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home is based on a book by Tembi Locke. And it stars Zoe Saldana. And it's about a woman, she's an artist and she goes to Italy to study and she meets this man and they have a relationship. But then the rest of the story is about how they move back to LA and the struggles they go through as a, as a couple. And then as they become a family and then health issues and it's lovely and sad. It's a lot more than it seems on the surface. And then the other one I saw recently that I like that's also based on a true story is a show called The Bold Type that was on Hulu. And it's about these young, it's a group of young of millennials who work at a fashion magazine. And it's based on the life of Cosmo editor Joanna Coles. But it's topical. They touch on a lot of relevant stuff. And I, I thought that was very well done. Those sound good. I'm not familiar with either one. I'll definitely check out the Zoe Saldana one. I might not check out the bold type just because I left the trauma of magazine publishing behind me. So I might not want to revisit that, but maybe we'll see. There were a couple that made me care about the person, which I think is something that a good based on a true story will do. One was Tammy Blanchard and Judy Davis as Judy Garland in Me and My Shadows. That was all the way back in 2001 now. I still don't think no offense to Renee Zellweger or anybody else, but I don't think anybody else has done as affecting a Judy Garland as those two. That was very good. I remember especially Judy Davis. Just, she became her. Absolutely. It made me see her more as a, a person and the struggles of the studio system and all of those things. Ben, just thinking about her as a classic film star and who did this movie that we always watched at Easter time. I, the one recently was unbelievable on Netflix. Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver playing detectives, Caitlin Deaver playing the victim. We see a lot of detectives and sometimes even female detectives like Olivia Benson being victim advocates. But the way that they did it in this, this limited series, I thought was special and where it talks not just about the case, but how being a female detective made it a different experience for everybody involved. I haven't been able to do that one yet. Mortal. Yeah, it's a little heavy. I do want to yeah, see it it's though. Not fun. No, exactly. We don't watch everything for fun though. <laughs> They're not fun stories. James was saying something about that. He's like, women like to watch sad things. I'm like, no. Some things we watch because we need to, because it's, they're informative and important. Okay, Melissa, what show will you rewrite, even if it's just in your own journal? Okay. The show that 
I thought was just wrong and I didn't like the ending is Grace and Frankie. This is my comfort show, my white noise show. I go back to it often, but I was disappointed with the entire final season and I haven't rewatched that one yet. This was a show created and executive produced by Marta Kaufman and Howard J. Morris. It ran on Netflix from 2015 to 2017 for a total of seven seasons. And it stars Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Martin Sheen, Sam Watterson, Brooklyn Decker, June Diane Raphael, Baron Vaughn, and Ethan Embry. If you're not familiar with the show at this point, Grace and Frankie is about two women, played by Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, whose husbands, after 40 years of marriage, announced they've fallen in love with each other. And the show is all about the fallout of that revelation, how it affects and changes their relationships and their families, and how these women, who are very different, who have always butted heads, how the singular experience that only the other one understands bonds them, and it's about how they become best friends. Season one through six is pretty consistent, showing they have these madcap adventures, and they're vastly different. Frankie is a hippie, and she's flaky and all over the place, and Grace is, she owned a business, and she's very organized, and she's focused on keeping everything in a certain way, and they learn to live with each other, and they learn to accept each other's What's the word? Accept each other's, oh my God. Word? Aberrations. Uh, there you go. That works. Yeah. They're each other's quirks and they, they form businesses together and they have a partnership. After six seasons of watching this friendship grow and face the challenges, Grace and Frankie rely on each other. Despite all that, they always come back together. But the final season shows them making very separate choices. They're fighting a lot. Grace goes off on her own to revive a business idea they had, and Frankie's just doing her own thing. It felt like the characters were not being written the same way as previous seasons. Grace, near the, I think in season five, she marries Nick, who's a very wealthy man, and they figure out how to work together where Frankie is still a part of things, and they live separately, and that was a challenge, but they made it work. And then Nick is uh, accused of, I think, embezzlement or insider trading, so he goes to jail. So that full season he is he suddenly is playing like a dopey criminal they send his character off with no proper goodbye when their romance and their relationship was a big storyline in earlier seasons i may have already said this but you spend six seasons watching them bond heads come together ultimately they're always friends they always they want to be together they want to live together because them finding this friendship gave them a second life after their husbands left them. The thing that exploded their lives becomes their their saving grace. It's what bonds them, but it also allows them to have a future. But season seven is so weird. It felt like they brought on totally different people to write these characters. It didn't feel like they were being true to them anymore. There was a lot of focus on the side characters. And I understand that they were trying to give everybody a proper send-off, but it was a lot of time spent on things that just didn't make any sense. That Frankie's son, Coyote, discovers he has a, a, a secret marriage and he has to annul that before he can marry his current girlfriend, Jess. And that was weird. And they spent a whole episode on that. And Bud, her other son, suddenly decides he wants to be a stand-up comic. And there was never at any point anything they touched on before. It was like a whole episode was spent on that. And I didn't care as much about this these side characters as the main relationship and they grace and frankie are, are 
fighting a lot and they're they're pushing against each other in ways that in previous seasons that they always figured out how to how to balance all that there was also a strange plot inconsistency that bothers me grace and frankie have a friend named arlene who's played by the wonderful marcia mason at some point season four or five she is diagnosed with either dementia or alzheimer's and she is moved to an assisted living community because she leaves the stove on or she gets confused about where she lives and so her son puts her in this assisted living community but in season seven she's driving to mexico by herself to buy her prescriptions for cheap and i i felt like i was like what did you guys forget that i didn't forget that how is she doing this and you're dealing with elderly people so there there are going to be some common threads here but they also gave robert a memory loss problem when they already had a character that had that and so i felt like that they also forgot about arlene's whole storyline at the very end of season seven frankie thinks she's gonna die she's told by a psychic that she has a like a death date and so she spends most of her time trying to figure out who she thinks is gonna kill her instead of just acknowledging that she's in her 80s that maybe she's gonna die and also you don't, there's no way of knowing that. So she spends most of her time trying to figure that out. And she throws herself a fake funeral. And Grace can't be bothered. And she's annoyed by it. And she won't speak at it. And there's a moment where they get tangled up with each other and they fall. And suddenly they're like in the afterlife. And Dolly Parton's there. Now, I thought that was a nice surprise cameo because it reunited the nine to five cast. That was cool. But I honestly thought the whole scene was hokey. I just think the show lost its way in the final season. I didn't like that, even though you're talking about aging and people who are getting older and the complications they're going to have, I thought it was unnecessarily cruel to take all the things that had given them purpose and meaning in their lives, like starting Vibrant, starting a business or, or starting the Rise Up. They took those things away. They lost all their businesses. They lost all their money by just like bad choices. But then Frankie gets arthritis and she can't paint anymore. And Arlene's memory loss and Robert's memory loss. I just felt like they gave up on these characters who for six seasons were full of life. It felt like they were, the writers were determined to remind us that all you're left with is failing brains and failing bodies. And it felt like a different, sadder show. And I would have liked to have seen them end up with more at the end, with happier endings. Even if Grace and Nick didn't end up together. Even if Frankie and Jacob or whoever didn't end up together. They had each other and they do end up together at the end. They still live together and they don't kill either of them off, which is a relief. That would have been very sad. But they also left them with not much. I wish they would have allowed them to keep one of their businesses allowed Frankie to still be able to paint and have her creative outlets. I, I just, I felt like it didn't make sense with the rest of the seasons. I honestly, I don't go back to that one. And I think I would have preferred it ended at season six. I don't remember how season six ended. Season six ends with the rise up, the toilet that they invented. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, give it oh, to yeah. they give it to Robert and Saul, but it floods their house. So they move in with them, which is fun and sort of like crazy them living together. That was a fun twist. But yeah, maybe more of that and less yeah. about all the sad stuff. Yeah. And the other thing was the Brianna very 
relationship. Yeah. I had a thought that maybe Marta Kaufman thought we're going to just do the opposite of everything we did with friends because they worked so hard to keep that relationship together. Yeah, there was a few seasons and then they broke them up. Very unceremoniously. He just like, fucked off. Yeah. Dolly Parton as a personal god. If there is a personal god, definitely Dolly Parton would be the prototype. I loved that part, but I was prepared for one of them or both of them to die. That would have been normal. That would have been okay. But I think I agree that their discord was meaner in this final season. And that's where they started. So all of the interceding seasons to build their affection for each other, to go back to square one was... Yeah, jarring. Yeah, and I agree. A lot of it was haphazard. So I'm not sure what that was about. No, I thought that they were like uh, Grace was unkind again to Frankie in a way that didn't feel like she'd grown at all. Mm -hmm. And watched her grow. I'm fascinated with the first season of that show and trying to figure out exactly where they became friends. What's the episode where it switched? Yeah, yeah. Never find it, but you can feel it starting to become that or they have a real genuine concern and fondness for each other. And you're right, it did feel like they were back at square one. And it wasn't just that they'd been together for years and they were finally just like, they'd had enough of each other. It was so many things that didn't make sense. Agreed. I still I enjoy it. It makes me laugh out loud still. And I quote it a lot. I don't know. I think maybe as far as wrapping it up, I would probably would have had one of them die. Mm-hmm. Or they could die together because that would be funny and also sweet. But mm-hmm. have them do two of a kind kind of, uh, do you get that reference? Is that the right <laughs> reference? Okay. Um, <laughs> um, have them do kind of a two of a kind thing. Uh, nah. I mean, it just yeah, was exactly. not satisfying. Or put them in, if they both fell down at this party and injured themselves, put them in like a hospital room together or a nursing facility together or something like that, where, I don't know, I, it's hard to know. And it is hard when you've got a big ensemble to conclude everyone's stories in a satisfying way. They had Barry and Brianna resolved. Why mess around with them at that point they mm-hmm. had Saul and Robert resolved like mm-hmm. start to shift the focus of the story to your the people that this show is named for give them more meat exactly to deal with do you have a recommendation oh yeah I do my new recommendation is a show called Roar on Apple TV, there's only been one season so far, and it premiered in April of, I believe, 2023. It is an anthology series based on a book of short stories by Cecilia Ahern, who called these tales darkly comic feminist fables. They're standalone stories of women who find themselves in strange or dangerous or just outright bizarre situations where their identities and roles are challenged and how they're perceived by others, how they perceive themselves. And there are like absurdist and fantasy elements as well. There's eight episodes. We've watched three of them so far. 
The first one is called The Woman Who Disappeared. It stars Issa Rae as a best-selling author whose novel is being turned into a Hollywood film. And the vision the studio has for her book doesn't align with her vision, and so she doesn't feel heard. And she physically starts to disappear because no one is listening her, listening to her and no one can see her. There's definitely some other stuff going on there about race. It's affecting. The other episode we watched is called The Woman Who Ate Photographs with Nicole Kidman and Judy Davis. Nicole Kidman plays Robin, who is seeing her son up to college. At the same time, she's moving her mother, who suffers from early dementia, into her home. And sort of in an effort to preserve her own memories, she starts eating her childhood photographs and they give her like these little time travel flashes back to the time of the photograph. That was one of my favorite ones. And then the third one we watched is called The Woman Who Is Kept on the Shelf. And it stars Betty Gilpin. And she's a literal trophy wife who is placed on the mantle of her very wealthy husband's home. And she's adored from afar. And there's a lot of Alice in Wonderland visuals in that one. It's thought-provoking and interesting. And there isn't anything quite like it on TV right now. And I think it's worth checking out just for the way the stories are told. But they're very unsettling. And it's a good one. I got greedy. I chose three shows. Since you chose an anthology show, mm-hmm. it feels a little le- like less of a cheat, but because they're all one season shows and they all are fantastic stories of women written by women. Showrunners are women. Bad Sisters on Apple. Yeah. Talk about Sharon Horgan. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. One season. Yes. Mrs. Davis. Tara Hernandez, writer and showrunner. Mm-hmm. on Peacock saying talking about not seeing anything quite like it on television fantastic and I May Destroy You on HBO Michaela Cole all three of them are difficult to watch for different reasons I May Destroy You and Mrs. Davis very wisely not planning a second season they're perfect self-contained story thoughtfully crafted acted ensembles are great Bad Sisters, unwisely, in my opinion, planning a second season. I hope it doesn't happen because... Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, so I don't think that one needs to come out. The villain is dispatched. They can have another villain, but it's not going to have the same impact. I just thought it was so perfect. And I know the temptation is always there when you have a good thing to keep it going. But I think it would be a mistake. Maybe because Sharon Horgan is at the helm, though, she'll be able to bring another, bring that story back in a way that they did so successfully with Catastrophe when I thought they were out of road with that one, too. I'm crossing Mm. my fingers, but I agree. I feel like that was one and done perfection. We'll see. Anyway, I know I cheated, but I couldn't just just pick one. I don't think you cheated because they were, they're all short. And the one I talked about is only eight episodes. So I think. Between all three of them, it's the length of a regular season. Exactly. And And all overlapping themes of womanhood. Yeah. In our country, 80% of maternal deaths could be prevented with the right resources. And now that women are being denied access to reproductive care, We can expect that number to go up. One of the very good organizations that works with small abortion networks is the National Network of Abortion Funds. 
Their website is abortionfunds.org, abortionfunds, F-U-N-D-S dot org. You can find a network that is in your area and donate that way, or you can donate to the organization and then they disperse funds as needed. But also they offer information on legal resources, resources for getting Mifepristone. They fund and train volunteers to accompany people to their appointments and check in on them if they have to travel. Also help them make travel accommodations and let them know what their rights are if they need to take off work. If you go on abortionfunds.org and it doesn't speak to you, there's a lot of great organizations out there doing work in the community, but I do encourage you if you have some extra cash to kick around to send some money to people who are working to make sure that the maternal and not incidentally infant mortality rates do not climb and climb because we do not have the systems in place in this country to take care of everyone. Abortions and travel and child care and lodging and support. Abortion funds, F-U-N-D-S dot org. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Share your endings with us at retconnection.com or on Instagram at retconnection.